Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 191, and I'm talking with Scott Smith. Scott Smith runs for Northern Arizona Elite under coach Ben Rosario. He has a marathon PR of 212.21, a half marathon PR of 62.34, and he's run the mile in 401 and has this big goal to break four minutes. Shh, don't tell Coach Ben. (laughs) We talk about that in this episode, though. We really had a good time getting to know each other. Scott just got married, and he is going to be ramping up to train for a fall marathon, which he hasn't announced yet. But my hunch is that it's going to be on a flat, fast course. We will see. He wants one of the spots on the Olympic team for the marathon. And we talk about that in this episode. And I asked him how he pursues big, hard goals like that. Well, he has such a laid back personality and nature to him. And I really liked his answer. If you are looking to follow him and learn more about his story, make sure you find him on Instagram. He's Scott Richard Smith and the Northern Arizona elite NAS underscore elite Instagram uh, always posts updates with what their training group is up to as well. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 and you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine. You can also find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Would love to have you join us over there. Hey friends, if you don't already know, if you are local to Indianapolis, I've got a training group that is starting next Thursday, July 25th. We're running it out of Athletic Annex in Nora, right behind the Whole Foods on on the Monon up there. Really excited for this training program. Information for that will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. We're meeting every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Training for the Monumental Half Marathon. If you're training for the full marathon, you can join us as well. And we're going to have some impromptu meetups as well and some socials. You'll get training plan with that. You'll get access to myself and coach Gareth Wilford, who works for Athletic Annex. And my biggest motivator and inspiration to do this training group is that I want people to feel connected with the running community here. If it's your first half marathon, it's if it's your 10th half marathon, whatever, join our training program. We're going to have a lot of fun and build each other up. If you are not local to Indy, there's a virtual option as well. I've created a private Facebook group. You will get tra- a training plan when you sign up and then you'll get access to myself and Gareth on that Facebook group as well. If you have any kinds of questions, there are options for beginner beginner to intermediate, intermediate and advanced training plans for the half, as well as beginner, intermediate and advanced training plans for the full over there. So head over to lindsayhine.com, click on the link provided in the show notes about the training programs and learn more. All right, friends, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Scott Smith. Today on the podcast, I've got someone from one of my favorite teams, Nazalite. We've got Scott Smith joining us. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you for having me. You're my second Nazalite Scott on the show. So, it's and Scott Fobble, man, he's been on like three times. So, we're gonna have yeah. to speed this process up and get to know each other, Scott. Okay, all right, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, okay, Scott. So, where are you at right now? I am at my apartment in Los Angeles right now at the moment. 
Okay, so we're talking to someone who splits their time. So you're half in Los Angeles, half in Flagstaff, correct? Correct. Pretty much about half and half. It's I, I don't know that it comes out to like exactly 50-50. Yeah, but pretty close to something like that. Okay, so Scott Smith, this is a 62 half marathoner, 212 marathoner. Runs for Nazalie under coach Ben Rosario. Uh, Scott, tell us, like, how did you even get connected with that group and how that kind of came about in your life? I moved to Flagstaff in 2010 to join um, a post-collegiate group um, called McMillan Elite at the time. And Ben had moved to Flagstaff maybe in 2012 or something like that, somewhere around that time, shortly after I had moved there. Um and so I kind of just, it's a pretty tight knit, small running community out there. So we ended up kind of just getting to know each other and became friends. And that team that I was on was kind of dissolving at the end of 2013. And that was kind of when Ben had started to take on athletes of his own. He was already, I think, helped like coaching some people outside of town, but he's taking on athletes in town that were looking for coaching, um, and he was having really good success with those athletes. And so I ran a marathon under Greg McMillan at the end of 2013. But that, like I said, that team was dissolving. Um, so after that, I was coachless for a little bit. Um, I did the CIM marathon at the end of that year. So I was pretty kind of had no direction in terms of running. And I um, I'd actually moved to Oklahoma at the time. My uh, then girlfriend, now wife, was going to had just started medical school out there. So I just kind of reached out to Ben and asked if he'd coach me from afar. Cause I respected what he was doing and it was evident that, um, he was getting success with his athletes. And fortunately he said yes, but it was kind of more of a guidance role at first. And then I came out to Flagstaff to train that summer of 2014. And he kind of offered me a more official position on the team, which was very generous and nice of him. And I'm happy to say I'm still on it. Okay. So question about that this is something I've always wondered about um elite runners who like before you've officially joined a team like your team or you know the Bowerman Track Club or some somewhere like that when you just reach out to a coach like Ben and you ask for him to coach you as guidance when you're at that level but you're not on an official team or like sponsored yet do they just coach you for free he was he was nice enough to at the time yeah I don't I don't know that that's that he still a blanket that. statement necessarily, sure. but, um, yeah, I, I, fortunately for me, he was kind enough to just give me training kind of. And then, um, yeah, now he has made it to the point where Hoka, um, sure. pays him. So yeah, he's made it profitable for himself, which, um, yeah, was his vision the whole time. It's really cool to see it pay off that way. Oh yeah. It's so cool. I mean, that was my, one of my favorite parts about interviewing Ben was just the business. I wanted to get in the business side of his brain because obviously that's a huge part of it. Um, I've always just wondered that when I talk to elite runners who were like, aren't quite like, you know, totally out in the professional running space yet. When, when a coach like Ben or a well-known coach takes you under their wing, uh, what what does that even look like? Okay, so before we get into that a little bit more, I want to talk about Greg McMillan and that coaching. What was that relationship like? How was his coaching different from Ben's? Because Greg McMillan, for anybody listening, he's a very famous, well-known running co- coach for years. So can you c- kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I it was definitely an adjustment for me going to Greg just from um, college, but 
I think more of the adjustment had to do with moving to altitude. And then um, I really liked Greg's training a lot. Um, I got relatively successful under it from where I had been coming from. And um, so moving to Ben's training, Greg, Ben was actually working for Greg at the time when he started um, the original team that he started in Flagstaff called um, Team Run Fan Shop. Um, so he had a working relationship with Greg. And so he's actually implements a lot of uh, Greg's philosophies and workouts. And we still work out at the same locations we were working out at um, when I was on the McMillan Elite team. So it wasn't a huge adjustment process for me to go from Greg to Ben. Ben obviously is his own person and has his own um, insight and philosophies onto what he thinks is um, will create a successful training plan. But um, as a whole, it wasn't a huge adjustment for me moving from Greg to Ben, which was um, which I was happy about because I, at that stage of my career, I was late 20s probably, and I didn't want to have to kind of take a back seat to let the training kind of soak in from a new coach because sometimes that can take a while when you switch coaches for their training to kind of kick in and um, start working. So I, I was happy that um, Ben's training kind of that I kind of meshed with it pretty early on. Yeah. Okay. So how old are you now then? I am almost 33. Okay. All right. So we're kind of working backwards, but I just kind of want to hear a little bit about high school running, college running, when you knew you could run professionally. You know, it's just such a transitional time from high school to college to college to pro. So kind of give us the rundown. Yeah, I had a pretty like I think I mentioned the email kind of unremarkable start with running is kind of how most people start. I think I played all sorts of different sports growing up and then, um, loved basketball and, uh, went out for the team freshman year at my high school and was on the B team of a very mediocre program. So I kind of saw that that wasn't going to be in my future. And I had known that the running team at my high school was very successful. So I joined the running team because I had, decent times coming from middle school just from PE miles um, so I knew I could probably make the team um, in cross country so I ran four years of cross country and three years of track in high school and I wasn't our team like I said our team was very successful and I loved the team and we had a really good team dynamic and it's still one of my favorite teams I've ever been on were my high school cross country teams um, but I probably wasn't good enough to start thinking about running at a division one program until very late in my track season, my senior year where I ran some times that got some attention from a few D one programs, nothing crazy or like what were they? getting up. What were your uh, time? my, my times? times? Okay. I ran four twelve in the 1600 and nine Oh six in the 3200, okay. which at the time was pretty good. Like now it's probably not. As good I know everybody keeps getting faster. It's kind of wild. Yeah. What's going on? I go back, my brother coaches, the girls high school team that we went to. Uh, and I, so I'm still close with the, like the head coach there of the boys. And it's just like, man, I would be like their fourth <laughs> or fifth guy. now. Yeah. <laughs> barely making varsity. They're so fast. And were you the um, first, were you like at the end, were you your top runner? Yeah. By the end, it, at least distance wise, we yeah. had an 800 guy that was better than me and he would beat me sometimes in cross country. Um, but yeah, I was by the end, I was our top guy and, the 1600 and 3200. Um, so I, I, like I said, that was pretty late in the recruiting process. So I didn't get like a ton of offers or anything. And I 
was fortunate enough that the schools I kind of wanted to go to, I had gotten into academically. So I kind of had a little more mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. control over the situation. Because at that time, I still wasn't totally sure if I wanted to run in college. Um, so I did end up going to UC Santa Barbara, which was a Division One program. It kind of came down between them and UC San Diego. Um, I'm from Southern California, so I was very narrow-minded in my uh, criteria for a school. And it was one of the main criteria was it was close to the ocean, and both of those were Santa Barbara. You can't really get any closer to the ocean, so that was a huge um, check in the pro box for them. Um, so I went there, and I definitely struggled with the transition to collegiate running from cross-country running, and more so, I think, just the college, being a college student and being on your own for the first time and balancing all that with running was something I did a very poor job of for probably a couple of years and then started to take it more seriously um, by the end of my sophomore year probably and started to run some decent times whereas you know being competitive at the conference level and stuff like that and then by the end of my fifth year in college it was kind of the same process I wasn't totally sure what I was going to do after and then I ran a time in the 10,000 that got some attention again not like I was going to go sign a big contract or anything but that some programs had contacted me about potentially running for them um, kind of under minimal support, which I was more than happy to accept. Um, And Flagstaff was close enough to home. And a lot of the guys on the, actually on the team, on that McMillan team that I joined were kind of Southern California guys or California college guys that I was maybe not knew personally, but was definitely familiar with. So that made the transition to running post-collegiately a little smoother for me. So you're 33 now, so you've been running post-collegiately for a really long time. Have you had bouts of injury at all or, um, like it just, it's a long career. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call it bouts. I've had, I had the, the most recent thing was earlier this year, kind of January, February and Achilles thing kind of knocked me out for a few weeks. Um, but overall I've been very fortunate to have, um, yeah, a pretty injury-free career up to this point. It's certainly at my age now experience a little more aches and pains than I did probably in my early twenties. But, um, overall I think I've been relatively durable and that's something that's kind of suited me for the, the long haul and the longer training. And I think that's part of my success is that I'm not like that much, obviously, like I'm not better than a lot of people that aren't running anymore. It's just that I'm fortunate enough not to have gone kind of had to go through the grind of repeated injuries that I kind of can see wear people out sometimes. So, okay. You ran your debut half in 2012. You graduated. So you must've graduated college in what? 2008, 2010. I did five years and I'm a little old for my grade. So yeah, same. I did five. I did five years as well. And I'm a little old for my grade. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So were you spending some time before you did that? Were you spending some time, like on the track doing 10 K's and stuff before that, um, the half, half marathon. I mean, I guess that's yeah. only two years. Yeah, I did. I definitely, I moved to the roads pretty quickly after, um, as soon as college was over. Cause there's not much of a track season left by the time my collegiate track season was over and I moved to Flagstaff late summer. And so I just kind of hopped on the roads and that was really my first experience with road racing and I, I loved it immediately. I was like, this is so much more fun to me than track. This yeah. is where I want to be. I'm not ruling out track, but then track season came along and I had a pretty kind of mediocre 
bad track season and it just kind of was like I just like the road so much more um so I was doing track but I was always kind of once I started road racing I kind of um track kind of took a back seat and I, I still like to compete and I love racing but just there's something about being on the roads and it's just more fun to me than being on the track okay and so- I'm not that good at it anymore so that's <laughs> that also has led to my decision unless they put a marathon on the track <laughs> Oh, no, Half no, marathon on the track. No, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay, so talk to us about transitioning to the marathon. You said you did CIM kind of unguided when you were kind of in a transition period. So what did that look like? Did you, Were you training yourself or were you still under McMillan? No, I, I forget what you I said. Still had, yeah, I'm sorry. I, Greg was still training me. Okay. Um, okay. I, I, the team, it was, he, you know, everybody knew that at the end of that year that team was going to be dissolved okay um but I really wanted to because I didn't know what my future would be and at that point I kind of knew that if I did have a future in running my strength had always been each time I moved up in distance I kind of was better at than the distance that was shorter so I kind of knew that and just being Greg's program it's kind of a strength-based marathon-based um training system so I really wanted to get his guidance and training in in case I had to go on my own afterwards to have that kind of um, a, like wealth of knowledge that he, you know, at least like a template for myself moving mm-hmm, forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of wh- why I chose to do that at that time. And I, and it was, it was probably time for me to do one anyway, in my career. <laughs> yeah. T- so you ran a two sixteen. that was 2014. So what are we, how many years ago was that? Jeez. Uh, was that 2014 or 2013? Oh, wow. I, okay. I, I thought mean... it was 2013 for some reason. I could be wrong. Well, either you're wrong or the Nazalite website is wrong. So you tell me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say Jen's wrong. Jen's always right. So <laughs> Jen's <laughs> always wrong. right. Everybody talks about yeah. how great Jen is. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. pretty, I mean, I just did a copy and paste onto my notes from the website. Okay. <laughs> um, okay so you've progressed into a 212 and I kind of just want to hear about, so you're 33, you have this 212 marathon PR and Let's not fail to mention that in 2018 Boston Marathon, you placed sixth, which can we just like go there for a second? I always have to go there if someone was there oh. in 2018. Oh, yeah. What do you want me to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, just, I don't know. Just give us a little bit of about the day. I mean, I think, you know, everybody is always going to look back on that Boston Marathon experience as this like iconic stamp in their career rather whether they're yeah. an elite runner or a five-hour marathoner you know just because it was totally. so crazy yeah so what did you yeah. learn from that race and what just give us a little bit of the experience. um i it was pretty wild i don't know i was probably in the best shape of my life so i was a little disappointed sure. that the conditions were going to be what they were but at the same time coach ben and i never put a time out there so there's never anything in my mind where I was like you know of course I thought on this if the conditions are good I have this time in mind that I think I can run if I have a good day but um as soon as I woke up that morning I I, you know I saw the just sheets of rain blowing across the street lights like the direction into which we would be running and I was like okay yeah this is gonna be a this is gonna be an interesting one and then I don't know it was I I had an I don't know maybe I'm looking back at it because I was able to finish and a good place that I'm kind of starting to like polish over it a little bit, but I thought I had a good time out there. It was obviously <laughs> not ideal and 
I, you know, it was really hard and brutal. And I, I don't know. I think that's probably one of my best mental races that I had because I, I swore I was like closing it down really hard at the end. I was like, man, I'm running right now. And my brother later told me what splits I was running the last few miles. <laughs> like you were, you were not running. And I saw a video of me finishing, and I was like, oh man, <laughs> that was brutal. I thought I was like getting at the end, and then I see this video of me just yeah, looking like both quads are shot. That's kind of that's kind of like cool to hear though because it's I mean you know I'm sure that you guys talk about running based on effort a lot too like you're you were putting that effort out that you would have been putting had it not been raining like hailing or whatever all over yeah like what would those have equivalent what would that time have equivalented to had it not been like that oh I have no idea I don't even know that you can I it's I don't know if it's worth even trying like that, that was well, right, right. that was the most frustrating thing was that we didn't get to learn a whole lot yeah. about what that training segment meant and and kellen too was super fit and unfortunately she had to um she was forced to drop out and i, I should say this too like for anyone that didn't finish that race like i don't you know only you know if you dropped out for the sure. right or wrong reasons but i know that kellen didn't drop out for the wrong reasons and that people will say like oh man that was a race that was the day for tough people. And like some of the toughest people I know were forced to drop out or pulled off the course. So it didn't necessarily, you know, you don't have to be yourself up if you didn't finish that. one. <laughs> yeah. I feel like people, if they don't know by now that Kellen's like tough as shit, then they, yeah. they haven't been accurately following her career. Yeah. Yeah. And she was unfortunately unable to finish. So it's kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of bring that up if someone's I mean, yeah. It's She's obviously a good example like, yeah. of a tough yeah. runner that wasn't yeah. able to complete it. Totally, yeah. What um, what was your time? Uh, I think 221. <laughs> okay. I mean, I know, I, we all know that everything was, like, totally skewed. The Des won and ran, like, a 239 or something. Don't quote me yeah. on that. But, so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, so, did you know that you were in sixth place? Because, I mean, regardless of weather that's a really great place regardless of time I should say yeah no I didn't um I, it was so crazy that you couldn't like visually it was hard to see anything yeah so someone in the last 10k yelled at me that I was in ninth or something like that okay. and but I didn't know how much stock to put in that and I really wanted to get top 10 regardless of that was like the goal regardless of conditions was uh -huh. get top 10 that'd be a really cool thing to do um so I was like okay like even if they're off a couple of places, I'm, I'm close and I could see a guy coming back and I, I didn't know for sure until I finished and I yelled, I could hear Ben yelling at me from kind of like the stands. And then as I, I just kind of yelled, what place? And then he yelled back six <laughs> and I was, it was pretty surprising because I didn't know. And so I dropped an F-bomb on accident right, <laughs> right next to my, like a surprised one right next to my chaperone. They kind of started laughing at me, but I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea what, I had hoped that I was in the top 10 and then to be six was, you know, it was pretty cool for me. Did you, um, I know it was super hard to see. Um, did you have a watch on and did you have any idea what your time was until that time, that like moment as well? I did not wear a watch. Um, I generally don't race with a watch, so this wasn't like anything sure. um, strange. And the, the Boston is obviously like right. a world-class marathon, so that you see the clocks every mile at least. So I, I knew, um, 
strangely enough, it was like the fastest I had ever gotten out in a marathon because the Yuki who eventually won uh-huh. went out like a mad went out like a <laughs> madman and it was like, what are we doing here? And I wasn't even with a group that was covering it, and it's still the fastest first four miles I've ever had. But I knew that I wasn't going to PR that day. I just kind of had to stay engaged. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I don't even know if I saw the finish time to at, right at the end. I, th- I think by that point, I was like, I, I, this time is irrelevant to me right now. Um, so yeah, I, I think I saw the time at a couple different locations, but it didn't really register as anything important to me during the race except for those first few miles when I was like man this seems like it's too fast yeah I man I Boston is just someday I want to kind of master running that course because it's so tricky because you can't run super slow on those downhills even if you want to be conservative so that you can negative split like you just can only run so slow because it is like that first mile alone is just like so significant that if you hold yourself back, you're like wasting energy, you know? As much as it pains me to give other Scott a compliment, <laughs> his race was probably, uh, him and Jared's race this past year were probably very good examples of even effort throughout the race of how to, you know, manage your um, effort on the different portions of the course. Oh, they really, yeah. They really did a great job of, yeah, staying on the downhills, but not too fast and not giving away too much on the ups. Oh, totally. Um, what were you doing this year in 2019 in the spring? Uh, I was nursing the Achilles injury for a little bit. I was actually out in Boston. Um, I ran the 5k there. Um, I just kind of want, I have done the 5k there a few times and it's a really fun way to kind of take in the weekend without having to do a marathon. (laughs) Um, so I, I did that again, went watch Scott and then, um, the 25K was kind of the big um, U.S. 25K champs was kind of the focus of the spring for me, and fortunately that went pretty well. And then I had one more race on the schedule after that, um, the Rock and Roll San Diego Half Marathon champs, and that just didn't really go well for me. I, I was getting married the next weekend, and I, I don't know that that had anything to do with. It. I really tried not to like lean on that as a crutch, but you know there was a lot of like planning and stuff going on near the end there, and I yeah I just kind of. Had a kind of a stinker at that one. So the 25K went well. What did you, what, tell us about the 25K. Uh, I ended up getting second there to um, Parker Stinson, who just shattered the race open pretty early and broke the American record by like 45 seconds or something. So I, after three or four miles, I was never even close to him, but um, I was happy with my performance. I was able to get second in a decent time, nothing close to what Parker ran, but um, a time that, should that Ben was happy with that he thinks will set up for um the fall uh kind of that equivalent time for a marathon would hopefully get me the standard so um that he was pretty excited about and as was I what um what's it like racing that distance that's a distance most of us haven't raced yeah it's kind of strange I I I never done it either so I just everyone kind of just tells you it's like you just treat it like a half marathon and hope you have enough left for the last two and a half miles. <laughs> right. and that's pretty, that's pretty much what I did. And fortunately I had enough of a gap on the third place runner to kind of hold on, hold him off to the, till the end. But yeah, it is a weird distance. It is fun though. I, I had a good time. That, that race too is, um, I would highly recommend it. They do a really good job. Who, who was third that race? Uh, Kia Dandena. He's a Flagstaff guy as well. Okay. Okay. 
Um, do you, have you announced, will you announce, do you know what you're racing this fall? Yeah, I should be. I don't like that. I can't say it, but I oh, should be able to say, say yeah, I should be able to hopefully pretty soon, but okay. yeah. Hey friends, I want to break in real quick and let you know that if this podcast is something you look forward to every week, there's a way you can support that. And that is over on my Patreon page. You can go to patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine and find bonus episodes over there where I have episodes with monthly episodes with my husband, Glenn. I just released one on Monday where we just kind of catch up on our life, what's been going on, why in the heck he's running 70 mile weeks again for no particular reason. I just don't get it. And just life updates. We just kind of catch up and you get to know our family a little bit better on those Patreon episodes. Also, I have returning guests on the show to name a few, Jen Bigham, Laura Anderson, who, by the way, was my very first podcast guest ever, Christy Beth Adams, Charlie Watson, Janae Barron. There are so many great returning guests over there on Patreon where we've just done a little life update and catch up. I also keep notable guests on for extended conversation. One of my most recent episodes, Jenny Simpson, I kept her on for an extra 15 minutes and that was really fun. Shalane Flanagan, Kara Goucher, Jordan Hesay. There are all kinds of extended conversations over there. I think that log probably has like 40 episodes at least in it by now. Anyway, if you would like to support the show, check it out. Head over to patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. And I want to thank a couple of my newest Patreon supporters, Joan Mechanic, Kara Doyle, Logan Waterman, Lisa Neustadter, you all, thank you so much for supporting over on Patreon. I appreciate you and I hope you're enjoying that bonus content. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Scott Smith. You're doing a fall marathon. To You want to get the standard, obviously. Remind everybody what the standard is. Uh, it's 211.30 or top 10 at a major or top five at a gold label. So there's a few different ways to get it. But um, yeah, the 211.30 is kind of hopefully what uh, the target will be. So Ben tells me that you are a tough competitor, but you'll probably be humble about this and that you want to make the Olympic team in February. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of the goal. And um, I'm closer probably now than I was in 2016 on like the descending order list to making it, but certainly not one of the, you know, favorites, but I like to believe that by the time that comes around, I will have myself in a position, you know, mentally and physically where I hopefully can, you know, give it a shot. Yeah, because talk about this. You're 33. The next Olympic cycle, you're going to be 37 or whatever. Um, Do you feel like, like, is this it? I mean, and you're in the sea of a bunch of guys that have ran 212 who are gunning for those three spots. Do you feel the pressure what is going on in your head? Um, you know, I'm kind of viewing it as the I'm pretty, you know, open to whatever happens. I obviously would love to make the Olympic team, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And truthfully, I don't know. You know, I will have to kind of reassess afterwards if it doesn't go well, um, what I want to, whether or not I want to continue to do it or not, because it is a lot of, um, it's a lot of work doing it. And I do love the team and I love competing, but it is, you know, it's a bit of a grind and splitting time and two different living in two different places. Um, 
you know, just, I've been doing that for a while and it, it gets a little exhausting at times. I'm of course, extremely fortunate that, um, I'm able to do that and that Ben and, uh, Nicole both allow me to kind of, you know, operate in two different places. But, um, yeah, I kind of view it as like, this is, you know, the end of high school where I wasn't sure what was next. And it's kind of like the end of college where I wasn't sure what was next. And, you know, I'm going to go out there and train as hard as I can. And hopefully my performance will be good enough to continue. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this because like you're in a, so you and your new wife, which we need to discuss that a little bit as well, are in LA and then Ben's group, you guys are out in Flagstaff. So what is that like? I imagine training with the group, you probably feel stronger than when you're out training by yourself or do you enjoy that solitude of alone training in LA? No, I don't at all. I would way rather be training with the group. I mean, I'd not, I meant that kind of like, right. Like I, I do like, I like the training. I do meet up with people here and there, but, um, I definitely 100% prefer a group environment than training solo. Um, so yeah, I, I get it. I train out here and I, you know, I like to think that I train just as hard as I do in Flagstaff, but on those hard days when there would be somebody there to kind of drag you along, I, I don't have that out here. Um, so it's nice to, you know, I, I do get benefit, I think, from dragging myself through them sometimes, but obviously I'd rather have um, teammates to help out and, you know, just, and, ha- and having Ben too is a huge asset and resource that he can have eyes on a workout um, as opposed to out here. I'm kind of pretty much just solo, but yeah, I, I do prefer training Flagstaff to, um, by myself. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that I could, I can see the benefit in both. Like I remember interviewing Ben true a while back, like a couple years ago, and he trains so much by himself and being able to take that mental strength to race day when you're, let's be honest, like you're in it for yourself on race day. Even totally. If your yeah, are absolutely. There, that's huge. But that being said, in like a really hard workout, if Scott Fobble is, still kicking and you want to kind of back off you're like well if he can kick I can still kick let's go yeah yeah it's it's yeah I I know some people are wired differently and people enjoy solo training but I've I don't mean it's from like growing up playing team sports as opposed to individual sports I've always liked the team dynamic of training and competing and that was something is kind of a bummer to lose um after college but I think the team at McMillan, we had a pretty good team dynamic. And then certainly now, like it, it kind of feels like, you know, obviously it's professional, it's not college, but there's that camaraderie out there that you're kind of experiencing the same things with one another. And, you know, you kind of get to bond over that type of thing as opposed to just grinding it out solo. And yeah, it's, it's apps for me. I, I don't know that I could, if I didn't have a group, I don't think I would probably still be, um, competing. I might still be running, but I don't know that I'd be trying to compete at the level I'm competing at now. What did you go to school for? Uh, I got, I w- was undeclared for a couple of years and then I got a degree in environmental studies, but, um, yeah, I probably didn't, didn't pursue academics as much as I should have in college. Well, you were busy running really fast. <laughs> yeah. I don't, well, a lot of smart people were busy running really fast. <laughs> <laughs> like to, they got useful degrees and everything, but yeah, I, yeah, I just, uh, in retrospect, I probably should have gone to more class. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, I can't imagine running collegiately. Like just because the the social scene that you get thrown into in college. Like I I went to IU and I just as soon as you're uh-huh. out from underneath your parents you know, roof and you can do whatever you want. It's like to be so disciplined to run collegiately, but then to have those other choices like going to the bars and, you know, like, yeah, there's so many that, I mean, it would just be hard. I always, I never understood how the, the collegiate athletes did it at IU and I never wanted to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't, I kind of half, half efforted, the academics so that wasn't the I'm playing at the best example <laughs> like I there's plenty of people on my team that were like yeah. extremely smart and you know performed honors all that and they still ran at a high level and balanced you know the social scene as well and I you know I had to kind of cut some corners to be able to do it all, I guess I imagine that would be really hard to if you were going to be a good runner at least focus on running and focus on academics there really wouldn't be much room for the social side other than maybe with your teammates. Yeah, that's probably, and that's probably accurate from what I, yeah, from the um, smart people that were, or, <laughs> the, they are, they are very smart, but the well-disciplined yeah. people and well-rounded people were able to, yeah. Um, you know, was, we we're hanging out with them probably. Yeah. And it, yeah. So they kind of knew how to, where to draw the line and how to balance going to class. And, and some people like that, uh, particularly a couple of the girls that were on the team with us were very good at like they almost needed to be they needed that all the time they needed like our women's team was definitely smarter than our men's team at college and they they just seemed like a lot of them kind of thrived on having a lot on their plate yeah yeah so where did you meet your your now wife and you guys he's been married for like three weeks Today's a month, actually. Oh, it's a month. month. You made it a month. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, At Santa Barbara, actually, we started dating at um, during my fifth year. So we were friends for a while, and then um, started dating. So we've been together like nine years, but only married for a month. Okay, she was like, "What's going on here? Nine years, buddy." (laughs) I'm just kidding. She's in med school, though. She's in her residency. She's in her. She just started her third year of residency, like this week, I think, actually. Okay, so is that why you guys are in L.A.? That's where she was placed for residency? Yeah, she matched at UCLA, so she's, yeah, we're, we live pretty close to UCLA. So what is she specializing in, or does she know yet? Yeah, well, she's she's a pediatric resident, um, and she's decided to try to apply for fellowships, which is like the next level of specialty, kind of. Um, so she wants to apply for um probably butcher it, but neonatology fellowships. So like working in the NICU and stuff, um, that would, so that'll be another three years of basically a residency. Um, so like she'll applications for that are due pretty soon. And then there'll be another match process, um, in the spring, I believe. And then she'll find out where, um, she matched and, um, she'll work there for three years and then she'll be a neonatologist assuming she matches and gets, um, interview offers and stuff. It's not a guarantee that she will, but hopefully she's going to be a pretty competitive applicant. Wow. That is intense. I can't, I cannot imagine. So you like, basically you're just wherever she gets matched, you're probably going to just, you both are going to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's this whole thing. I mean, I, it's probably a whole nother podcast on the like process of becoming a doctor, but it's, oh my it's gosh. very long. And it's very, 
you have, don't have a ton of control over it. And it's, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, you kind of just have to up and go sometimes. Yeah. Is she younger than you? She's 30. Okay. She'll so be 31 in August. She's a, And she's got one more year of residency, this residency, and then three more after that for where she gets placed for whatever she wants to specialize in. Correct. Yeah. And those are, those aren't like, um, across the board numbers just for these particular like pediatrics and then, um, neonatology. Some are longer, some are shorter. It just kind of depends. Yeah. So how do you guys, I mean, I know you're, you just got married, but you've been together for a really long time. So how do you guys really balance this? Like you competing as a professional athlete, like bouncing back and forth, back and forth and her, I'm sure working like 80 hours a week. Like how does that, when do you see each other? (laughs) Not that often. Yeah. Maybe she likes it that way. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, to a certain extent, it's almost uh, when I'm away, there's not an expectation that we'll see each other hang out, that we'll just kind of have our FaceTime date each day or whatever. So, it, it you know, in that regard, it almost is like a little less work than like having the not work. That's probably not the right way to say it. But that when she is here and I'm training and it's like, maybe she has a day off and she actually like wants to do something fun, but I have to, you know, rest up for a big workout or something like that. Kind of trying to find the balance of hanging out with each other and doing fun stuff and like maintaining our relationship, um, through those kind of two different lifestyles is, can be, you know, just a little tricky sometimes. Unfortunately, I think we're both pretty low maintenance on what like hanging out is. So it's like, even if it's just, you know, going down to the beach for a little bit or watching a movie is, you know, usually good enough. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. So I'm picturing if I'm her and I don't, you tell me, cause I feel like any doctor residency in their residency is like very sleep deprived and working. Oh yeah. Okay. Working crazy hours. I am going to be honest. I feel like I'd be like super annoyed if I was married to a professional athlete who (laughs) who gets to sleep all the time. And like, I know you're working really hard, but like, let's be honest, you sleep a lot, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, she definitely is. And it's, that's, that would be hard. I am very tired. Like this is a very tiring career that I'm in as well. I'm not on my feet 80 hours a week or working 24 hour shifts, but you know, I'm tired in my own respect. And, uh, but so I try not to really mention that too much because I have no idea what it's like to work the hours that those people work. Yeah, I mean, and that's not to diminish what a professional runner does because it's a completely different kind of tired. Yeah, no, theirs is, oh, man, it's ridiculous. I don't know. It's you. Sometimes she comes home just like that's, that's a shell of a human. Like <laughs> there's yeah. nothing in there. It's just emotional, physical, psychological exhaustion walking in the door. Well, I always feel like um, someone who can who withstands uh, medical residency is just they've had really good training to become a new parent because the, the sleep depri- deprivation that comes from that is so, <laughs> so challenging that I'm like, but if you've been through med school, you're you'll be great. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We're not. <laughs> Did my mom put you up to that question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying as a mother myself. <laughs> got, got it. Okay. So you guys just got married and what's, what's next? Just that's out of the way, all that planning's done. And now are you kind of just taking a deep breath before you ramp up for fall training? Yeah. Thank you. Notes are next. Oh, right. (laughs) Are you splitting them 50, 50? Well, I have terrible handwriting, but I told her I'd write some, but I'm not sure she's going to let me. So we'll see. 
You know, I got married a very long time ago, like 11 years, but I, I, we did it 50, 50 and his, my husband's ter- handwriting is awful. And I was okay. like, I don't care. You're writing your thank you notes to your aunt and your mom's friend and your yeah, dad's friend. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, you're yeah. doing those things. I'm going to write to my guests and she can write to hers, I think is how we're going to separate them up. Yeah, that's that's what we I think that's a good – okay, that's good to know. Okay, so wedding questions. What did you dance to for your first song? Um, It's this song by this guy called The White Buffalo. It's called – love song number one it's a pretty generic title but we both really like it we've been to a lot of their shows before so we had to take dance lessons though because we're both terrible dancers you did the dance lesson thing had to it would have been it would have been a disgrace oh really see i just swayed back and forth like an idiot okay people okay no no that, oh sorry someone came over. i think the dogs are barking no like even our swaying people would have been like what are they doing <laughs> so we and nicole i mean i the med school people are kind of like perfectionists. So she, she did, she wanted to (laughs) not, she wanted to do something. So we did it. We only took three lessons, but we got some basics down. (laughs) Ben tells me that your dad was the efficient efficient and he forgot the rings or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Tell me about, (laughs) tell us about that. Well, we, I, my dad's defense, he was a little hesitant in the first place to even do, but we, Nicole and I don't, you know, we don't belong to a church or anything. So we didn't have like a pastor or anybody that we had in mind to, you know, do the ceremony. Um, So our kind of criteria was that we wanted someone who knew us well and that kind of knew what, you know, goes into a marriage and everything. And him and my mom have been married for a really long time. So we we asked him. (laughs) He's kind of taken aback at first. And then so we finally decided to do it. And we're like, oh, he's going to do a great job, whatever. And he was. He was doing He was doing a good ceremony. It was, you know, it was heartfelt and touching, but, you know, kind of lighthearted at the same time. And we're standing up there, and I can see his prompt, um, like his, you know, cues he had typed out for himself. <laughs> and we, Nicole and I, had decided to exchange our own vows. Um, but we told him, like, we still want you to do the, tra- after we do that, do the, like, traditional whatever they are, like, man and wife you take this blah 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 we still want to do that and so i saw vows on there and then i saw a send off or whatever like (laughs) pronounce you husband and wife and i was like okay like he's gonna do his vows after ours and then he started going straight into the like i now pronounce and i was like uh and i had like made it super because i was in charge of the rings that morning to get to my brother who is the best man and so I was like, okay, like, I'm not going to screw this up. Like, if I leave the rings in the hotel room, like, this is going to be terrible. And I was, like, texting my brother all morning. I was like, Nick, don't let me forget to give you the rings when we're getting ready in my room today. So I was, like, really proud of myself for getting the rings to where they needed to be. And I could see he was just, like, he didn't even have it on his paper. And so he just goes into, like, sending us off as Mr. and Mrs. Smith or whatever. And I was like, Dad, you going to do the rings? <laughs> he's, like, he's just like oh oh the rings i completely forgot about the rings <laughs> it's like everyone's just kind of laugh. i mean it's funny but uh so i turned around and got the rings for my brother and then he just totally blanked on it he just he forgot about that in like a wedding ceremony and so he didn't have any prompt of like ring exchange so he just like what to say something yeah <laughs> i can't even remember what he said but we got the rings to each other that is hilarious you know I'm I've always interested in people who write their own vows because I think if I were to get married in my 30s 
where I am now, I would definitely do it. But I was so young when I got married. I just like, and I remember being so overwhelmed with everything else with the wedding that I was like, I don't want to add this to the things I have to do. But it's interesting to think of because I, I feel like the vows I would have wrote at 25 when I got married would be different than the vows I would write yeah. now at 35. And that's because I'm older, but also because now I've been married for 11 years, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why we decided to do them or not. I think we, cause we didn't have like a set one that we wanted to do, like from like a certain religion or church or something like that. So we, I think part of like, we wanted to have like a personal touch to each other in the ceremony. Like obviously my dad doing it was pretty personal to both of us, but like something that came from us to her and her to me as, and like, I, we've been to a lot of weddings too, where, you know, the pastor or whatever, whoever will incorporate something that the couple had written about each other. And we didn't have my, we didn't want to like put any extra stuff on my dad. (laughs) He couldn't even remember the rings. We didn't want to put anything else on there. So we just, yeah, I don't, we had just decided to do it. And it was, you know, I don't know that they were anything like spectacular, but I think we each appreciated receiving and giving them to each other. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so um, we don't know what fall marathon you're going to run. We do know that you're going to run in the trials regardless, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, And you're gunning for top three, so that's exciting. Tell me your very, like, what what is your favorite thing about running with the NAS Elite Group specifically? Um, I just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like my social outlet. I feel like, um, there, I, I kind of like all of it, but the kind of, you know, going on runs with, you know, different people from different backgrounds. And like a lot of times the men and the women will do their easy runs together. So kind of like just listening to people's different perspectives on stuff and, um, different topics and conversations is it, I enjoy that part of it. And I'm sure I've contributed my own terrible perspectives on some things, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, kind of a fun team dynamic because people aren't afraid to you know voice their opinion whether or not someone may or may may or may not agree with them um and usually it's a beneficial conversation that we're having you know 80 percent of the time we're just talking about dumb stuff but you know here and there we'll talk about some real stuff and i enjoy all of it talk about your uh rivalry or whatever you like earlier you mentioned like oh as much as i don't want to admit that scott had a great race like i feel like that we see you guys kind of joking around with each other about this so clear it clear it up talk to us about it i'm trying to remember how it even started but yeah something on twitter and then we just started making fun of each other and then it kind of just evolved from there that we just pretend to hate each other on there we had to clear it like both of our moms i think thought we were serious (laughs) (laughs) my my mom even said like can you not say the word hate on twitter (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, all right, mom, you know, we're joking, right? So I don't know. It's just, I think it's just more fun for us than anything. And it's almost funnier if someone thinks it's real to us. But yeah, he really kind of blew it out of the water, like our rivalry when we ran 209, because that's just like so much better than when I ran that it's kind of like people might think that like we're, because before we were maybe more like comparable levels of the marathon and it was like more like an equal footing when we would banter with each other. But now he's just like, so much faster that I don't know that we're on like equal enough turf to be throwing insults at each other as much, but we still will. I'm sure. Tell me this though. You seem like such a laid back guy. 
and maybe I'm wrong, but like just you seem kind of like, okay, whatever happens. How do you translate that though to competing at the level that you compete at? Because, you know, like when I interviewed Scott, he's like, I don't care who I'm competing against, Lindsay. I want to win, you know? So like, how do you be the laid back person, but also to the line at the Olympic trials and think, I want a spot? Um, I think those two things can coexist in me pretty easily. Maybe that's like generic answer for what you just asked, but like I've always been very competitive. Um, but, and when I was really young, I didn't, I wasn't able to like leave it at the basketball court or the soccer field as easily as I am now. Mm. Um, like if I have a bad day or something like that, I can, I'm more, it's easier for me to dissociate from that. But yeah, anytime I get in like a competitive environment, and I don't become like a totally different nasty person or anything, I don't think, but I absolutely want to win. Like it doesn't, I, yeah, I'm, I don't know that like, since I'm laid back outside of a competitive arena that like, just because I'm, you know, kind of casual outside of it, but I'm very competitive when it pretty much with anything, like I hate board games cause I just become such <laughs> a bad person. <laughs> what about like a trivia night at a bar? Yeah, we do that Wednesday nights in Flagstaff. I really like that. Do you um, always want to win? That's harder. Yeah, and we have this rivalry with this team that like beats us probably like most of the time. So <laughs> it's really satisfying when we beat them. <laughs> I like I'm super competitive too. Like when people are just joking around at like a cookout playing cornhole, I'm like, no, but I really want to win this cornhole game. And like nobody cares, and it doesn't matter. But I really care. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> win. <laughs> And it doesn't matter, but you got to win. And do you think that, did I read that right? Like that you're laid back? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I guess if you ask most people, they would probably say that I'm pretty calm individual and laid back. But yeah, I would like to think that just because I, if I'm nice or something to people, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to try hard when I run against them. And I think like any of anyone like Jared Ward is probably the perfect example of someone who's like the nicest person, but will, you know just absolutely destroy you in a race (laughs) do you go to the start line with a like obviously you just shared with us how competitive you are like when you're out there you want to win no matter what but do you go to the start line with a calm like presence and feeling about it or do you go like what do you feel like when you show up um for the marathon i certainly come pretty calm Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, you know, I, different things work for different people, but for me, I need, I kind of just keep myself really calm even through maybe like halfway of the race actually, before I kind of start letting those like competitive juices start flowing because I know I could, if I let them go a little early, I have the potential to kind of lose control and, um, which could be detrimental to later stages of the race. And if I want to be, in a position to utilize my competitiveness late in a race, I need to be smart and manage that. And so I, I yeah, I come, but definitely for the marathon, like almost like lackadaisical at the start, I might even say. Yeah. Like I'm picturing that ba- just based on our emails and our conversation. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it feel that feels good to me. Like that feels like that would be a really comforting way to feel going into 26 miles 13 of which are going to be very difficult yeah and I mean I'm definitely there's nerves involved in everything but I like to think that I do a good job of kind of keeping it under control until it's 
an appropriate time for me at least to, to go. let it go. Yeah. All right, Scott. Um, what's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Ben will probably hate me for saying this, <laughs> but I'd really like to break four in the mile still. Okay. What did you say? Ben will hate you for saying this. Yeah. <laughs> what is, he, he is your us... PR four hundred one? Yeah. <laughs> what did he? What were you saying? He let you what? He let us try a couple years ago, um, but like we were still, I was still training for longer stuff and. Aaron Brawny was on the team and Craig Lutz too. We all kind of tried uh, during the same time frame and none of us got it. So it was kind of a bummer. <laughs> you guys uh, come, all of you Nazalite people, come just shut it down in Indianapolis. We have a race. You're not going to get paid a ton. It's not a huge race like the. Oh, I don't care. I'll pay somebody to come if there's a sub four opportunity. <laughs> there's a. Um... Well, well, I mean, I'm not saying you'd have someone that fast to race against. I think people always cross the line, like, just over four in the men's division. Okay. But, um, it's super fast, and it's just a straight shot from, like, um, 12th and Meridian, which Meridian's, like, the main drag downtown Indianapolis, to the circle. And okay. it is, like, such a fun race. But I, I know that it's, like, hard to get you professional runners to show up at races because there's so many that – things that go into it but maybe i should just like pitch it to one of your agents and yeah in the race and say you guys should all come because it is like my favorite one of my favorite days of the year and it's i don't know if you can say a mile course is super fast but it's just that straight shot down um, yeah oh yeah yeah okay well i'm gonna rally i love road Road miles are awesome road miles are honestly one of my favorite events there's one in santa barbara where i went to school and it's actually downhill so it's not really official i have rogan four there no definitely doesn't count yeah it's pretty significant but it's i and i've done the road mile in twin cities before there i just think they're such fun events yeah i agree and this is on like a thursday night at like 6 30 i think the elite division goes at like 7 30 p.m it's super casual okay well i'll just like you know i'll try to make that yeah. happen send it to ben maybe or yeah i'll send it to ben and be like bring your people out i know you're not keen for it but they want to break for four minutes yeah okay and that's in june so you got a year we, okay. ju- we just had the race, so it, it'll be after you've already made the Olympic team. Oh, yeah, because okay. when's the Olympics? I, maybe we can't do this, Scott. Uh, th- I think they're later. I don't know for sure. I I have pretty, like, tunnel vision to the trials <laughs> and then <laughs> figure it out after. All right, so I'm going to pitch it after the trials. Got it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you want to break four in the mile. Um, what is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, I don't know that it's – when I read that question, it's – when I got 14th at the 2016 trials, like I wasn't that proud of necessarily 14th place, but I was very proud of the way that I competed that day. And the, cause I haven't always had like a super high level of confidence when I approach a race, especially the higher and higher levels I've got. Like I've always been kind of a practical person. And sometimes I think that's to the detriment of some of my goal settings or like how I view myself in relation to a field. But that day I, despite, you know, having pretty, um, lackluster credentials compared to the guys who are favored to make the team, I got at that point in the best shape of my life. And with, you know, the training, training with Matt was a huge confidence boost and having Ben, you know, he's very confident guy kind of, you know, telling me what these workouts kind of could mean and everything. So I, I got to that line thinking I had, a legitimate chance to make the team. And I, I believe that I raced that way and there's kind of a big move made at 16 miles. And that was kind of right where our 
pre-race plan was like anything after 16 miles you just got to cover if you want to have a shot and so I did my best to cover and I thought I was good enough to make the team that day and unfortunately I was proven wrong that I wasn't but I was happy that I took the chance to find out that I could be wrong rather than kind of just you know maybe if I hung back and got 12th place as opposed to 14th place um, I might have placed a little better but I don't think I would have changed the way that I um, executed that race if I could do it again and that that's something I kind of look back on my career as like a turning point to how I approach races going forward from that yeah I love it when people talk about like taking those risks because sometimes you just don't know what could be when yeah when they made that move at 16 were you like was it still with the front pack yeah it was a little tricky because at first I didn't like kind of um like recognize right away that it was actually moved because it was right at a water station. Um, and a lot of times it kind of accordions and spreads out there because everyone's kind of jostling for position. So someone might sprint off the front just so they have a clear, um, shot at their water bottle. And so, uh, Tyler Pinnell kind of went to the front right at the water station around that point and then kind of just kept going after the water station. I kind of looked up and was like, Oh man, there's like five or six guys up there who are, I've, you know, are all legitimate contenders to make the team. So the group, the team's going to come from that group. Like mm-hmm. you're going to have to go try and be in that group if you want to make the team. And, um, I was right about that part. The team did come from that group. So <laughs> it yeah, just wasn't me. but and if you hadn't have tried and gone with them right then, then your chance never would have happened. Totally. Yeah. None of them really came back all that much. It was kind of a, a hot day and everyone kind of yeah. just stayed the same after a while. So yeah, they, those guys that made the team ran, uh, really smart races. Yeah, that was your shot. So, it, yeah, it was super hot that year, too, man. Did, yeah. Did that affect Wasn't you that intensely fun. or, like, does – does or were you, like, trained to be in that heat? I guess you can't really train to be that hot. We were we were kind of, like, heat trained by wearing a lot of stuff. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it was going to be hot. And, again, like, that day the time didn't mean anything. So it wasn't that important to me that, like, sure. the times weren't going to be that fast. Um I'm one of the few people actually like really enjoyed that race. I, that, that race gets a lot of grief, but like I have a lot of family and friends out here. So there's my mom organized like 40 or 50 people out there to be Aww. along the course. And so it was, it was really, I had, a, you know, I really enjoyed the race. Um, but I can absolutely see why people didn't. And I don't like, heat, I don't like running in the heat, but that, that day I was like, all right, it's not about the, it doesn't, I'm out here for a time. And like, this is kind of cool experience. I don't know if I'll ever have that many people like cheering for me at a race again. So I, that was kind of a, a fun thing. And then we all went out to lunch afterwards and that was, that was really fun. Yeah. That's so cool that your mom did that. Are you, how do you feel about the course in Atlanta? Like with the Hills and everything? Um, I think if it would be totally fine if they, if the standards were what they used to be, but now that, and it's still like kind of an ongoing process as to what getting a standard is going to mean. But mm-hmm. The only, I don't mind, I, I'll, again, it's like the trials, the goal is to be top three. So it's, everyone has to run the same condition, same course. So that part doesn't throw me at all. The part that would, the only part that's frustrating is if like guys, for example, maybe myself might need the time. Like in 2012, mm-hmm. if the time was 2, all those guys that made the team ran it because it was a good fast day in Houston. Um, so I, I don't know that maybe I'm wrong that guys will run to 1130 on that course, but I don't think you're gonna have to run 2 11 30 to be top three that day 
Um, but there are other ways still kind of convoluted and even to someone who's kind of like in that world, like I don't know for sure what that all means, but everyone has to run the same course is kind of the, the, how I, how I look at it. Yeah. I can't ask you questions about what marathon you're going to choose this fall, but I feel like you're going to choose a fast one. I'll just leave it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'll just leave my thought. We'll just leave my thought at that. (laughs) Yeah. That's fair. I think. Okay. (laughs) Um, if you could have coffee or cocktail or tea with someone fun, motivating or inspiring, who would it be? And what would your choice of beverage be? Um, it would probably be, well, if if I do Charles Barkley, it would be Mm. cocktails for sure. Nice. (laughs) Or beer. But yeah, I think he'd be a really fun guy to hang out with for an evening. What cocktail and what beer? Um, I don't really drink that many cocktails, so probably just any beer or whatever Chuck's drinking. I'll drink whatever Charles has. <laughs> but probably like a quarter of as many. He's buying anyway. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Hopefully he had a good gambling day. Yeah. What you said you don't read much. Do you have a book? Best most recent book you've read? Um, yeah, I, I, for some reason I just have a hard time like sitting down and reading, but I did read, uh, Lopez Lemong's book recently. And I, I had been meaning to read that for a long time. It's been out for a while. And, uh, but that was pretty incredible. Um, just kind of about his journey from becoming like, a like in a child soldier camp Mm. to his journey to the United States and to an American family and all that. And so that, that was really cool. And then I, started to show you how little I read a uh, uh, scar tissue, which is the Anthony Kiedis of the hot chili peppers kind of autobiography. Oh, uh, that, I, I started that back in college, which was a long time ago and then <laughs> recently found it and finished it. Nice. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. They're, they're one of my favorite bands. So I, I was interesting to kind of read the, what he was going through at certain points of their like, um, record releases and kind of my chronological order of what I think of them as and what was happening in their lives at the time was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I, that stadium Arcadium album, I, I listened to that thing on repeat all the time. Oh yeah. That one was awesome. I think I must've been in college or like the end of college or something like that. Um, yeah, we got into them for a while. I went to a couple of Red Hot Chili Pepper shows back in the day. I can't remember. Cle- nice. Cleveland or something? I don't know. Yeah, you, so you're a guy that's really into music. Top three favorite bands of all time. Go. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's hard. Big, right? Oh, man. I really like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's probably up there. Um, I, I like have a lot of different favorite bands. I really like Bruce Springsteen. I wouldn't consider myself like a Bruce Springsteen, like, I don't know all of his albums or all his works, but that was another one on a long road trip. Uh, Nicole and I listened to his book on tape and he was, it's pretty interesting. Um, gosh, I don't know. That's a really hard question. I wasn't, that wasn't on the pre, uh, pre podcast <laughs> questions. So let's see how I've been able to come up with something. I know. But when you told me the first song you guys danced to for your wedding and then you threw down the Anthony Kiedis stuff, I was like, Oh, he's a music guy. Like I like after the wedding thing, I was like, oh, he's, I think he's a music guy. Then you threw down that scar tissue, and I was like, oh, he's definitely a music guy. Yeah, well, I'll put I'll put in White Buffalo. That's probably the out of like the person or band that I've seen the most is probably the White Buffalo. So I'll throw them up there. Okay. Do you like Pearl Jam? Yeah, I okay. do. They're not like my absolute favorite, but I, I I do. Okay, just curious. It's my husband's favorite band. Um, yeah, they're really good. 
Okay, and then the big one, what is one message you'd like to send to the world? Uh, <laughs> you brought up the music thing because I was going to go with the Bill and Ted quote. <laughs> <laughs> that could, that's okay. Yeah, the, the, I just think their be excellent to each other messages is very good. And if people could do that, there might be a better place. Be excellent to each other. I'm going to start saying that to my kids. Yeah. I always say, yeah, I always tell them to be kind to one another. I think I'm going to change it up and start saying be excellent to one each to one another. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the same message, but to me for some reason watching Bill and Ted when I was a kid that resonated. <laughs> Good. Be excellent. All right. All right, yeah. Scott. Well, best of luck. Can't wait to hear what you're going to run in the fall and uh, we'll be cheering for you at the trials for sure. Okay. Thank you, Lindsay. Okay. Congrats again on the marriage, too. Oh, thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Scott, for sharing your story on the podcast. If you're interested in a fall training program, make sure you check out my in-person and virtual training options. Head over to lindsayhine.com to do so. And if you enjoy this podcast episode, share it with a friend. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.